Well, hello and welcome to the season two finale of the Viewfinders Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Graham Dargy, and today it's fair to say I'm a little bit excited to have one of my all-time favourite photographers on the show, Howard Schatz. I'll introduce Howard in a minute, but first, I wanted to take a minute to acknowledge the end of the second season of the show. Ten more episodes are out there, and I've had so much fun this season talking to some amazing photographers, so I want to thank all my guests from this season. Magnus Lindbaum, Eric Parry, Trevor Cole, David Merrin, Guy Edwards, Tim Clayton, Jim Richardson, Gregory Escandi, Shona Perkins and Howard Schatz. I'm so grateful to have had these conversations and I'm really glad to share them with you and I hope you get as much out of them as I do. The other big thing for me this season has just been seeing the podcast grow. When I started last year, I knew it wasn't just going to be a podcast but there would be more to it. I also knew I had to start and let things develop. That's how I'm used to working with ideas sometimes. You get the beginning of the idea and then as you get going with it, the rest of the idea kind of reveals itself. Um, I guess it's a bit like dipping an exposed sheet of photo paper into a tray of developer in the darkroom. It just shows itself after a wee minute. So in the last couple of weeks, the future of the podcast has become really clear to me. And I'm so looking forward to this, to bringing you some more amazing photographers on the podcast and through my Viewfinders Live events. Um, of course, if nobody listened to the show, it would all be pointless. So my biggest thank you goes to you, the listeners, who've downloaded the show from 38 countries all around the world. So thanks to every one of you. I'll keep working away at this to make the best product I can, from working on the sound quality to my interview technique, and of course, getting the best photographers to talk to. Uh, okay, segue. Speaking of the best photographers, Viewfinders Live, an evening with Jim Richardson, sponsored by MPP, is coming up on Monday, the 29th of March, 2021. The Scotland-obsessed 50-time National Geographic photographer will give a brilliant talk about his amazing photography, and you can ask Jim anything in the live Q&A. You could even win a £50 MPP voucher in the exclusive prize draw on the night. Tickets are on sale now for just £10, plus booking fee, it's 11.37 in total, The event will be recorded and ticket holders will be able to access the recording for seven days after the session. So if you can't make it on the day or if something comes up at the last minute, you don't have to miss out. Jim Richardson is one of America's most respected photographers. And if you're into photography, I think you should come along on Monday, the 29th of March, 2021 at 7.30 p.m. UK time. Check your local time zone. Uh, The ticket link's in the show notes. And I want to thank MPB for sponsoring this event. MPB buys, sells and trades thousands of used photography items every week and if you've got a piece of kit that you're not using, why not trade it in for something you will use at MPB. Each item is carefully inspected and comes with a six month warranty. Okay, I'd love to connect with you. You can find me on Instagram at viewfinderspodcast and if you've been enjoying the show, why not subscribe, leave a five star review and share the show with your photography friends. It really helps and I so, so appreciate it. Okay, on to this week's guest. Howard Schatz is a photographer based in New York who's probably best known for his extraordinary photographs of dancers underwater. Howard's work is incredibly diverse but often features a study of the human body and his motion studies of elite athletes follow in the footsteps of photographers like Edward Mybridge and Harold Edgerton. Howard has published 22 books and has shot advertising campaigns for clients like Ralph Lauren, Nike, Sony and Mercedes-Benz. He's been featured in Time Magazine, Sports Illustrated, Vogue, GQ, The New York Times, The Today Show, Good Morning America, and The Discovery Channel. His work's been exhibited all around the world, and he's won many awards in his career, including the 2020 IPA Sports Photographer of the Year Award 
for his project, The Shape of the NFL. My own connection to Howard is that I've been following his work for about 20 years, and I don't think there's another photographer in the world that I have more respect for. When I was in college back in 2003 to 2005, we had to choose a photographer to write an essay about and emulate some of their work. I chose Howard Schatz. So Howard has a project on redheads, so I brought a couple of redhead kids into the studio that I know, and uh, I also shot a motion study of a friend who's a tennis player, like the, using the stroboscopic technique that we're gonna talk about in the show. So this was a real full circle moment for me. Our conversation touches on where Howard gets his ideas, how he developed his signature underwater style, the process of collaborating with subjects, what it was like to photograph Muhammad Ali, Howard's mission to make photographs that surprise and delight him, and so much more. Uh, a couple of things before we start, like I said, Howard's a bit of a hero of mine. I was nervous, so you might pick that up in the recording. Um, also, I spoke to Howard on the phone, and uh, you'll hear some interference on the line at times. I did my very best to clean it up, and I hope you can persevere through that to hear what is a rare insight into the thoughts of one of the world's most imaginative, prolific, and well-respected photographers. I hope you enjoy this. Here's my conversation with Howard Schatz. Howard Schatz, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm well. Good. I'm so excited to talk to you, and I'm, thank you for making time for this. I appreciate you must be very busy. Well, I'm uh, glad to do it. Glad you're calling. I will tell you a few things. One is I love Scotland. From uh, 1978 to about 92, I traveled to Scotland every other year for a conference at uh, an Octorotter at the Glen Eagle. And we toured all over Scotland. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yeah. And uh, I hope to return again one day. Yeah, I hope you can. I hope you can. For the listeners, would you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your photography? Well, I'm Howard Schatz. I've been making photographs. I've had a camera since the late 60s, and I make photographs almost every day became um, seriously interested in um, 1987, where I just decided to devote one day a week to photography. I was doing something else. Mm -hmm. I had another profession, another life. And between 87 and 95, I had uh, a lot of attention for the work. There were three or four or five books published. There were multiple museum shows, gallery shows, and we started getting phone calls to do shoots. I lived in San Francisco at the time. Um, I was perfectly happy making photographs once a week. But my wife, who was a television journalist, wanted to run a business, and she said, let's go to New York, take a year sabbatical. Let's go to New York just for a year, and see what we could do with this photography if you did it full time. Mm -hmm. So at the end of 95, essentially 25 years ago, um, we picked up from San Francisco and rented a studio uh, in the heart of Soho in uh, New York City, mm -hmm. um, rented a 5,000 square foot studio and began making working on all my projects and making pictures. And um, within a short time, I was being called a great deal and mm -hmm. became very busy. My real goal is to make my own pictures. Mm -hmm. I shoot to surprise and delight myself. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I like doing magazine editorials when the editors give you free reign to discover something unique and special and unknown and surprising. Mm -hmm. When a magazine editor has something very specific and exacting in mind, it often doesn't interest me. Mm -hmm. And then I do commercial work because the commercial work essentially pays for the addiction to the fine art work. Mm-hmm. The fine art work is expensive to do. Um, I hire dancers and assistants and producers and stylists and hair people and makeup people, and it's um, it's a, a significant outlay of funds. Mm-hmm. I photograph essentially in the studio, and I want to make up things that haven't been there before. Mm-hmm. I want to explore what little tweaks my imagination and inner creativity uh, guide me to and try to find things that surprise and delight me. That's why I shoot, to be surprised and delighted. Mm -hmm. I do commercial work because it it pays a lot of money and uh, it allows me the ability to cover these other things. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. Since March, I was working on four major projects. One called the shape of the NFL, American football. Yeah. Bodies are sort of determine what position a player plays. Mm-hmm. And uh, offensive linemen, for instance, block for the quarterback and make big gaping holes for running backs. So they're big 300, 350-pound huge men, whereas uh, defensive backs are like little gymnasts who can run backwards as fast as as they can run forward. So I wanted to do a project that sort of depicted this um, uh, physical nature and a function of each position. Mm -hmm. I was also working on a project on dance rather than trying to get a dancer into one single frozen moment, um, a pose, a leap. I try to leave the camera open and using both ambient available and stroboscopic light try to depict what the motion is. Mm-hmm. So I've been working on that project. I was working on a project called Growing Up. I followed around 200 kids mm-hmm. from the time they were newborns into their mid-20s, photographing every year and also having them write about their diaries. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had a few other projects that very much interested me, a portraiture project on actors, um, a project called Above and Beyond and doing interviews of famous people. And it all had a stop. And in this last year, essentially going back through my few million images in my archives, mm-hmm. trying to make something that wasn't there before. So that's what I do. That's who I am. Yeah, it's interesting that you that you mentioned those three projects, Athletes dancers and growing up because those were the three threads that I picked out of all the different things that you do that I really wanted to talk to you about today and so one of the things I was going to ask you you know if you look at your body of work it's huge as you said maybe millions of images portraits dancers athletes performers regular people and you employ many different styles and techniques but the thing that really fascinates me when I look at all that work I just see idea after idea after idea lots of ideas I love that I'm really interested to ask you about where your ideas come from, how you develop them, and how you sort of take them from a, a, a figment in your, in your imagination into the real world. 
I mean, are you just following your interests with dance and, and athletics or are you taking cues from articles you read maybe? Where do those ideas come from? Yeah. Um, I think for everybody, you, you know, you live a life, you walk the streets, you read books, you go to theater, you sit around with friends, you go to restaurants, you um, go to sporting events, you sit alone looking at, at landscape. We all have experiences. And there are visual imagery ideas in everything. Your eyes are open. Mm-hmm. And I was just sort of open to trying anything without needing to make it fantastic right away. Mm-hmm. The idea is to see something that tweaks an interest and then explore it. A lot of times these explorations wind up nowhere. And sometimes they wind up like a gold vein, mm-hmm. with the one thing after the other after the other. Um, I'll give you one example. You know that I shoot underwater. Yeah. Um, we built a house in uh, California, Northern California. Marin County is the county north of San Francisco across the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. And we live, we bought a, a few acres of land in a town called Fairfax. And... I wanted to exercise and wanted to find within this house an ability to maintain some sort of physical exercise. And my knees were very bad from a lifetime of all kinds of sports. So I thought of what about we'll build an indoor swimming pool and I'll put a, uh, a basketball backboard and net over the deep end about the right height. You know, if you stand under a basket, you tread water at about shoulder height, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In deep water, the water comes up to about your shoulders, right? Yeah. So I measured my shoulders to a basketball hoop, which is 10 feet high, mm-hmm. and we placed that hoop five feet above the surface of the water. And I began to shoot baskets from the deep end of the water, mm-hmm. just as exercise. You put a ball in the water, you shoot, you have to tread water, you have to swim to the ball. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot more interesting than swimming laps. Turns out when the ball hits the rim and comes bouncing back as you and hits the water, the splash of the water is like a foreign body against your cornea. And, you know, it, it hurts. So I put on goggles. And then when I would have friends come over and we would shoot baskets from in basket in the in the water of each other, I saw underwater what was going on. Mm-hmm. The body is a sort of it's buoyant, but if you blow a little air out, it's sort of you're weightless. And I had shot dance for a long time and realized that the adversary of dance is gravity. And here was an, a medium where there was no gravity. So I said, this could be fantastic for dance. Mm-hmm. So I spent the next six months all by myself, one day a week, lighting, shooting underwater, and I had to solve many problems. Yeah. And that's part of photography. Is Part of photography is accessing what you get to shoot. And the second part is solving the problems. And the problems were water, clarity, chemistry, and temperature was lighting with uh, strobes being close to the pool being very dangerous, with um, color, composition, focus. So I tried many, many things, making notes at every shoot. Mm-hmm. I shot and shot and shot and shot and fell on my face many times and 
uh, ran into all kinds of problems, but it took me six months and I figured out how to keep the water clear and warm, how to light safely but well, mm-hmm. how to compose a picture, what the chemistry had to be, and how to light such that the colors were normal. But I figured it out, mm-hmm. and then I called a dancer I'd worked with, a prima ballerina from the San Francisco Ballet, a Scottish woman by the name of Katita Waldo, And I said, Katita, can you swim? She said, I can swim. So she came over and we began to work underwater. And it was like I was in a magic kingdom. Mm -hmm. I was in heaven. She went underwater and she was able to move and do things that she was hard to do on stage with gravity. And I was able to make pictures. And some of those first pictures were among the best I've ever made. And that is a series of situations that led to a whole... Uh, genre of photography for me. Mm-hmm. So that's one major big idea. I get ideas also from everywhere. Prior to the internet, I would go to bookstores that had photography and art books and thumb through them. And anytime there was a visual image that touched me in a certain way, that was like a, that had a great idea in it, I would buy the book. Mm-hmm. So I have a few thousand books. Any book was bought because there was at least one idea in it that I could play with, experiment with, explore for myself. So ideas come from other images. Uh, ideas come from books, from conversation, from movies, mm-hmm. from walking in the street. Yeah, Ideas come from everything. And I think one needs just to be free and open to them and not be worried about restriction. Yeah, yeah. So you're 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 open for those influences to reach you, and with the even I was thinking when you were saying there about problem solving being part of photography, it really is. But it's one of the most fun aspects of it for me, um, especially when you're dealing with lighting. You'll always come up against some kind of problem that you have to figure out, and so you chased down that idea by the looks of it. You were, it seems like you were very tenacious about this underwater photography idea. Tenacity, tenacity is an important ingredient. Yeah. It's a very important ingredient. The other thing is I'm open to others' ideas. I'll be on a set and an assistant will say something. What about try that? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm open to it. I don't say no. Mm-hmm. I'm, I got my own way. I don't do that. Yeah. I'm open there. And this allows the assistant to feel free to say something mm-hmm. and th- to know that they're a part of this whole creative process. Yeah, that creates a, a good culture, I can imagine. And if you're working with dancers as well, I have some experience, not as much as you as working with dancers, but they're fantastic to collab. You have to collaborate with them because you don't really know what they're capable of and so on. You could direct them to do something, but maybe they they can just do something much different that you wouldn't have thought of. So I think that, that collaborative side of things might, might be a big deal for you. Would that be right? That, not only that, Every dancer is different. Mm-hmm. So some dancers, a uh, ballerina who's been strictly, strictly trained from age three to do ballet is terrible with improvisation. In general, they don't know what you're talking about. You turn on some music that's foreign to them, they don't exactly know what to do. I see. It's more modern dances, dancers that are 
more open to things. And every dancer is different. Mm. And it's like, it's like you probably have an interest in soccer being in Scotland. And you know, there, there's some soccer, but most of the great soccer players are great. But there's some that are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. They're especially great, right? Mm-hmm. Same with dancers. You have a lot of great dancers. Good, 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 good. But every once in a while, a dancer will come along that will surprise you and come up with things you never saw before, mm-hmm. thought of. So, it's a matter of trying to find those dancers, and sometimes you have to go through a hundred to find one. Someone might be listening to this in the car, and they don't exactly know what we're talking about. Can can you talk about um, underwater study number one? Because I think that's the one you referred to earlier with the girl with the red hair. No, I made that picture the first day that I photographed her. Mm-hmm. That was 1992. Really? Wow. First picture I made. Yeah. What was great about that was anything less than that didn't satisfy me. So I kept reaching further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how the explorations uh, underwater occur, reaching further, further, further. Yeah. So the the dancer is there. She's sort of floating in the middle of the frame on a in a dark frame. There's I don't know if there's some color around, but well, it's a sw- it's a swimming pool. Uh huh. And we lay a black drape over the side. We weight it down on top of the deck, and we have a mechanism of keeping it against the wall of the pool so it doesn't billow out. Mm -hmm. So the background is black. The lighting is, I have a 20-foot scrim over the pool, and I have lights, strobes, a distance away. So if they fell, they couldn't fall in the pool because you can get electrocuted. Mm -hmm. And the, the strobes hit the scrim. So... The light came down softly. You can see there's very little shadow mm-hmm. in that kind of lighting. And um, that's how I made the picture. The other thing is, if you your lungs are like you know balloons, if you fill your lungs with air, you float. But if you blow some of the air out, it depends on body fat and muscularity. For somebody who is very muscular with very little body fat, they tend to sink. Somebody who's very heavy, with a lot of body fat, they have a hard time sinking. Most medium people, average people, can blow out about a quarter to a third of their lung capacity and still hold their breath a minute for the amount of time a shoot takes. Mm-hmm. You know, they're underwater a minute. Mm-hmm. And they come up and we hyperventilate, talk about ideas and go back down again for another minute. Mm-hmm. So just by blowing out about 20 to 40% of their lung capacity, they're evenly buoyant. They're not heavy and they're not light. They're at one with the water. Mm-hmm. And they can remain sort of mid, mid depth mm-hmm. pretty readily. You're right to say that one of the best ones, really, that number one, it's just so um, atmospheric and evocative. Um, I love that image. I did want to bring up the Shape of NFL project because. Um, you recently won the IPA award for sports photographer of the year for that, so that must be must have been um, quite satisfying to get that kind of recognition. The the project shape of the NFL to me, I I think it really encapsulates a lot of the different ways you've been shooting athletes over the years, with a mix of studying the body types, um, the athletic movement of the different players, uh, and was it satisfying to be able to bring all your um, athletic photography experience together and, and channel it into a project that got that kind of recognition? Well, let me talk about recognition first. 
every photographer wants their work seen, recognized, right. written about, hung in museums and galleries and in magazines. And every every publication, every notice, every award, one must consider it as a brick. It takes many bricks to build a castle. And uh, the bricks fall away. So you've got to be constantly working and building, finding bricks and building. It takes a lot of publication, a lot of exhibition, a lot of curatorial attention, a lot of shooting and recognition and awards to form a career. So one shouldn't get too high or too low over winning or not winning an award. Mm-hmm. The award for the, uh, some bricks are cornerstones are a little bit bigger. The IPA is an important organization to photography. Mm-hmm. They do great work and it's important for photography internationally. And so that award was uh, something quite wonderful, but I also consider it like, you know, an important cornerstone. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop me. It doesn't make me feel too proud, too glad, and I got to keep working. What mm-hmm. am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. What's next? How can I get attention again the next time, the next time, the next time? So one has to understand, keep a relative balance about these sort of things. Mm-hmm. The other thing about dance and sports, athletes, have generally one or two things they can do. Mm-hmm. They can throw a ball very well. They can catch a ball very well. They can kick a ball very well. They can run. They can leap. Mm-hmm. They can jump. They can pole vault. They can throw a hammer. They can they can swim. But it's generally one or two things that they can do well. Mm-hmm. Dancers have to do everything well. They have to run and leap and turn and and they have they have to have strength and rhythm and lightness. So in a way, dancers are the best athletes, mm-hmm. especially the male dancers are truly great, coordinated, powerful, uh, flexible, well-coordinated athletes. Mm-hmm. You have to understand with athletes, this, the fact that there's one thing they can do well, you have to then ask yourself, how can I make this one thing into something special? How can I make a hurdle? How can I make a shot put? How can I make a dive? How can I make a football quarterback thrower? How can I make a soccer ball kicker? How can I make that particular function of the athlete special? And that's where the challenge is. Um, I was wondering if you were informed or influenced by uh, photographers like Edward Mybridge or Etienne Jules Marie or Harold Edgerton um, because of course yeah I, I saw you know the motion studies that you do with athletes and it's totally fantastic and then I, I just occurred to me when I was researching I thought I just actually I remember that in the this was like a thing in the early days of photography that it was used for this kind of scientific study of 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 movement I suppose um, yes. but it's, it's yes. it, obviously the way that you've, you've done it is, it's kind of the same, but it's different as well. Do you, do you do that in a stroboscopic way or do you do sort of multiple exposures and overlay them? No, no, I usually use stroboscopic. I use, uh, strobes that can fire off rapidly. If I want to make it more rapidly, I then put them in sync. Mm-hmm. Like for some of the strobes, if you take a look at my boxing work, mm-hmm. there's a photograph of a 
Sergio Martinez jumping jump rope. Mm -hmm. And I set off uh, four strokes, one at 0.01, one one hundredth of a second. The next, they're all set, and they can can recycle at 0.04 seconds. Mm -hmm. Set one up at a 1, 102, 103, 104. And the next one goes off. So it's 134, 134, 134, 134. And I got 15 strobes out of each one, so there's 60 strobes, Mm -hmm. all you know, within a fraction of a second. So it takes some understanding of what you can do in the physical world mm-hmm. uh, to make a picture like that. Mm-hmm. But I use I use strobes. And then I sometimes add ambient light. And then when you add ambient light, you can filter the light. You can, you can color the light. You can put the light on and off. Strobe and ambient light. Mm-hmm. They, their combination and how you position and use them with other things like filtration and timing make for an infinite ability to make imagery. I've been working with strobes for 20 years and I still have experiments I want to do mm-hmm. and things I want to try to see how will this look, how will this look. Really amazing is that my bridge and Egerton did this over a hundred years ago. Yeah. It's fantastic that they were able to do that. I mean, one of the first studies was when a horse runs, mm-hmm. is there one foot on the ground all the time? Mm-hmm. And they answered that question. The horse was, in fact, in the air for a fraction of a second with each gallop. It's such an effective technique though, for studying that specific movements that you've said that each athlete will have. And um, again, just like the the horse example, you, there are things that they're doing that you might not see with the naked eye. So it's really a fascinating thing to look at, especially for top level athletes who we all kind of admire anyway. Um, I was wondering, you know, when you're working with those top level performers, I worked, I photographed a, a marathon world record holder once and uh, he had a real aura about him, a real energy that very different than anyone I'd met before. And I was wondering how it is for you working with those top-level performers, whether they're athletes, actors, dancers. Do you feel that kind of uh, aura from them, and does that inspire you to raise your level? Well, they're human beings. They require uh, a certain amount of uh, respectful attention and um, kindness and uh, generosity and uh, accolade. It's not hard, with probably extreme rare exception, to touch the humanity of any athlete. So that's how I would answer that question. To go from these top athletes to completely normal people. I was researching your website and I came across the Growing Up Project and I found this so fascinating. And of all the other things I could have spoken to you about, this was the one that really grabbed me. I I found it poignant and moving. And I wondered if this project surprised you in the same way that it surprised me, because it's so interesting and engaging. What can you tell us about the Growing Up Project? Well, (laughs) I started the project in 1990 or one or two or something like that, photographing women when they were pregnant. I'm interested in the human form 
And I found that pregnancy is sort of a biologic sculpture. Mm -hmm. The body changes. It's beautiful. The curves, it's sculptural. And so I made those pictures. And I told the women, when you have your baby, when you feel like it, whether it's two days, two weeks, or two months, bring the baby back. We'll make a picture of the baby. And it occurred to me after doing that, I said, we'll photograph the child every year. And then when the kids were six and seven in first and second grade and they learned to read and write, I, I, with the help of friends who are psychologists, put together questionnaires. And after the shoot, I would have the kids sit down in a private place and answer the questionnaires about their lives. Mm -hmm. What do you like about your life and why? What do you want to change about your life and why? And as they got older, the question became more sophisticated. Like, can you discuss intimate things with your parents? Mm -hmm. Are there things that you do that you're ashamed of or that you regret? Are there things that um, you desire and that you wish to do in your life and you're not sure you can get to it? What are your goals? What are, you know, all kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. and even when they're in their 20s, I would ask, who are you? Can you describe your soul and your spirit? Mm -hmm. Can you say where you're going? You know, trying to understand them as best as possible and told them I would never, I'm not going to open these diaries. No one's going to see them until you're an adult, until I'm ready to publish. And mm -hmm. so I'm at that point now. So it turned out this is a, a marvelous project. And um, I fell in love with these kids. Every year they came, they got to be comfortable with me. I always gave them a little bag of jelly beans every time they were there or when they sat right, they got jelly beans. So they would remember the, they would have the experience that it was sweet. I told the parents I would send them pictures and I told the parents, when the pictures come, don't criticize them. Tell the kids how wonderful they are. Mm -hmm. Just say how wonderful, how happy, how wonderful. Yeah. And this allowed the kids to want to come back every year and enjoy what they did. Mm -hmm. And so it's been a it's been a beautiful project, really. Yeah, it's been about two hundred kids, and I'm still working at it. Though. This this um, pandemic has put a stop to it, but I hope by the coming fall, I'll be able to recharge and get going again yeah one that i particularly grabbed me was there's a boy who every entry was about his baseball his baseball his baseball and as he was growing up and then that sort of disappeared for a couple of years and then it came up again i, I regret uh, leaving behind my baseball i found it so moving um because uh, I was like, where did what happened to the baseball dream? Where did the baseball go? Um, I really wanted him to make it as a baseball player. And um, yeah, there are two of them. There are two of them. Um, there's Eli Kashi, who is the son of Ed Kashi, a famous photojournalist. Okay. Eli Kashi wanted to be a baseball player. Mm -hmm. And then the the last kid, uh, whose name escapes me right now, both of them. In fact. One day, both of them were in the studio at the same time. It turns out they went to high schools and they played each other and they're both shortstops. And both of them had this dream. But what I think happened is that they went to college under scholarships and I don't think they were that good. Mm. They, they, they were real good, mm -hmm. but they weren't at professional level. And mm -hmm. You know, think of all the kids who play soccer in college. Mm -hmm. Never get to be soccer players. Mm -hmm. Soccer players are probably one out of 10,000. Yeah. One out of a hundred thousand that get to be a pro. 
So I think that they had to find other ways in their life. Mm-hmm. And I was disappointed too. I asked them both to write about why they left baseball. And neither of them could face up to, oh, the other one's name was Jackson Nazario. Mm-hmm. Jackson Nazario and Eli Koshin. And both of them, um, neither of them really answered the question about why they left baseball. Mm-hmm. And I really think it's because they couldn't hit a curveball or they couldn't, or they had a low batting average or they had a lot of errors in the field, something where they weren't playing at the level that they needed to play to continue to be professional, to, to get to be professional athletes. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, I was disappointed too. Yeah, I think that I have a daughter who's about to be five and, um, you know, you want the best for them, but you're also aware from from this point of view that things do you do have to give certain things up in life sometimes, and there will be disappointments or failures, and um, you know how hard those things can be. And so I just I was seeing it from both sides really, and, and realizing that's ahead for her. And um, it's just I just found it such an interesting project. So I really recommend people listening to check out the Growing Up project on your site. Yeah, thank you. So let's talk about uh, camera gear for a second. What is your camera and lens combination that your is your go-to combination? I use I've used the Hasselblad camera from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, my closest friend from grammar school was a professional photographer in Chicago, and uh, he went into real estate and did very well, and gave up real estate, and now he's one of the world's best bird photographers. Mm-hmm. You should look him up, Owen. Deutsch, D-E-U-T-S-C-H. When he gave up his studio in 1987, I bought all of his Hasselblad equipment, his old Hasselblad, and I shot with his old Hasselblad equipment and Belcar strobes, which they don't, they don't make anymore, and um, I eventually bought new Hasselblad equipment. So my studio work is done with Hasselblad. Mm-hmm. My underwater work is done with uh, Canon cameras. Uh, initially, with, with the Nikonis underwater cameras and then the Canon cameras and I walk around when my wife and I go for a walk in New York City I carry a Canon camera mm-hmm. uh, this weekend I went up in a helicopter I wanted to shoot snow in farmland mm-hmm. see what that looked like and I went up with Canon cameras mm-hmm. so that's what I do okay and I use uh, brown color strobes okay and so that brings us to um, another round which I call double exposure, where I wouldn't get to pick one of your photographs to ask you about. And maybe if there's one big moment or a special memory from your career that you can share about, then you can tell me about that too. So um, so many pictures, obviously, but I, I just had to ask you um, about your experience with Muhammad Ali. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I was doing the project. It came to be a book uh, with Ken Carbone. Ken Carbone is a very famous uh, graphic designer, he and his partner, Leslie Smolin, designed the signage at the Louvre. Okay. So uh, he he wanted to do this this project called Virtuoso. <laughs> Virtu- okay, and yes. Asked, would, I be, would I be the photographer for Virtuoso? Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be great. It would be a lot of fun. And I got to uh, photograph great Virtuosos from all over the world. Well, Muhammad Ali came to the studio in Soho with his wife and an assistant. And he was really in terrible shape with, with, with uh, the brain damage and the Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. He could talk, but you couldn't understand him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I could direct him. I could get a little bit of this, that, and the other. But he was exhausted. He was not physically capable of even standing up very long. It was just sort of sad. Mm-hmm. That is sad. So it's not such a great story. Yeah. Well, it's well, it's still a great picture, and and if anybody would want to to um, meet that guy, and it must have still been fascinating to meet him. Um, is there one, it must be a difficult question, but is there a, a really special moment from your career or your photography journey that really stands out? You know, I have a really good memory of almost every shoot. At least I think I do, I probably don't. <laughs> and uh, I, I make a nice relationship with every subject to the point where when they leave the studio, they give me a hug and thank me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that my goal is for them to be free, to mm-hmm. take some chances. Um, I've had uh, just a lot of wonderful, rich experiences. I feel really lucky, blessed, that I've been able to make pictures, meet individuals, explore ideas, discover things within me, find visual imagery that's never been seen. The whole career of photography has been a great gift, a great blessing, a great happiness. And I will say this, I used to think I was really a smart person until I met my wife, Beverly Ornstein. <laughs> and I mean that. Beverly is really smart. Uh, there's a woman who reads a book a day. Uh, she's she's uh, an award-winning television journalist. She was the head of news at the TBS station in San Francisco. She um, is uh, generous, loving, kind, humble. She would never tell anybody she knew anything, mm. yet she knows almost everything. Um, she's fun. And I would never have done this. I would never have left my previous career if it weren't for her. And I, frankly, I don't do any of the business aspects. We got a, we got a, a letter today and by email from someone in China. They want to do a large, in Taiwan, they want to do a large show at the, at the big museum in Taiwan of my work. Mm-hmm. Well, I just passed it over to Beverly. And later I said, how did you answer it? How did you answer it? What'd you do? I just, out of curiosity, when galleries want pictures, prints, Beverly handles all of that. When art directors and art buyers call up for commercial shoots, Beverly handles all of that. Mm-hmm. When a magazine calls for me to do an editorial shoot, Beverly takes that call, figures out what it's all about. You know, I make pictures, but there's 98% of the business of photography mm-hmm. that I don't do very much about. I'm, I'm aware of it, and I know it. I sort of know what's going on. I ask, and I watch, and I listen, and I learn. But it doesn't, I'm not particularly good at it. Uh, maybe I could do it, I don't know. Uh, but, I, but I never would have mm-hmm. if it weren't for her. That's a great asset to have. Let's. Um, I like to close with a with a quick fire round, if that's okay with you. And I've cleverly called my quick fire round motor drive, so we can go quickly through these few questions, if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay. Wide angle or telephoto? Wide angle or tele? It depends on what you want to shoot. You know, if I want to make a vanity picture of 
of a woman movie star, I'll use a long, long, long lens. If I want to make a portrait of a character actor, a man, and make it in black and white, I will use a short lens. So I use every kind of lens. I have every kind of lens. Okay, are you coffee or tea? Coffee. Cold brewed. Okay. Cold brewed. Head or heart? Head or heart. <laughs> I think it's important to have both, don't you think? Everything in, everything in photography requires thinking, thinking, figuring out, uh, analytic uh, modus. But you have to feel without emotion without feeling you'll just have what i call a nice picture which is a killer mm. people sometimes will write me back and they say nice I, and i feel like it's a punch to the my gut okay and when do you feel at peace with the universe you know i'm, I'm pretty uh in balance with things i see things for what they really are um we had four years here in the united states of horrible anxiety over a monster running the running this uh, country mm. and I was anxious every day because of I would come in from whatever I was doing and ask my wife who was a television journalist and paying attention to the news what did he do today with anxiety and since January 20th with the new president Biden I have a sense of relief a deep breath of Uh, comfort and knowledge that we have an empathic human being who cares about the people in the country yeah so. yeah sir i want to thank you so much i'm so grateful to meet you and for everything you've given to this chat and for making the time so howard Schatz, thank you very very much well you're really welcome Alan. and um i hope we meet sometime this interview was really a nice interview oh thank you i appreciate it very much and i wish you best of luck Thank you so much for listening and sorry again for the sound quality there, but I hope you did enjoy that. Follow Howard on Instagram and visit his website to see his huge body of work. It's a real treat. Links to everything we spoke about are in the show notes. If you like this episode, you might also enjoy my conversation with Osborne Masharia. That's season one, episode eight. Thank you for spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. I hope to see you at an evening with Jim Richardson. I'll be back in the summer with season three. In the meantime, stay safe. Enjoy your photography and I'll see you out there.